If you want to turn to Galatians, oh, I'll tell you what. No, I'll tell you what. Yeah, turn to Galatians, stick your finger in, park it there in Galatians chapter 5. And, and uh, or look it up on your smartphone or wherever it is you have a Bible these days. And, uh, and we'll come to it in a minute. I, I just want to recap a little bit. We've been doing, well, I've been doing a series on the nature of the church and we've been reviewing it really. I think, I think we've, we're in a time where we are, are being stretched and shaped afresh in terms of our understanding of what the church is supposed to be like. And I believe God's asking us to create a different kind of culture in the church to the one a lot of us who've been around a while have grown up with. And, and it's time to move on. It's time to build on what we knew. I don't think it's a time to discard. It's a time to develop. It's a time to evolve. It's a time to, de- to build on some of the things that God has already shown us. But, you know, God moves on. God shows us fresh things. The, the cloud moves. The, fire, the pillar of fire goes on. And we're called to not camp around the revelation that we had, as sweet and as great as it was, but to be able to move on. And so we've been talking about what, what's the church supposed to look like. And it should be defined by who's in it. So the church is people who are sons and daughters of, of, of God. Uh, we're not slaves, we're not servants, we're not servants of God first, we're people who are sons and therefore we serve and that affects the nature of the thing called the church. It can't be an institution, there's no human institution be it in educational, social work or business that's created for people who are sons of heaven. There just isn't anything that's adequate, that's adequate, provides adequate structure or leadership style to be good enough for sons of daughters of God. And, and the trouble, if we even as churches, we come into this with the mentality that we're servants of God and our, our mindset is that of servants, servants always need masters. And that's often been the shape and the style of churches, certainly in my experience. So the leadership style becomes more, we're in charge of you, and the people style is more, well, we're here, the goal is we're here to serve. And the goal of the leader is to get the people to serve more and grow the thing, etc. So you get a kind of master-servant dynamic going on, although we don't call it that. Um, in effect, there's that kind of model can emerge in church life if we're not if we're not careful. And that's because we don't fully appreciate and live in the good of who we really are. And so we revert to an old model. We revert to something that doesn't truly reflect who we are. So we talked about how the church is a place for sons and daughters led by mums and dads, not a masters and servants dynamic. That it's a place, and if you're a son and a daughter, then you're going to have a dream. You've got a destiny. You've got You've got something that's completely out of the box that God's called you to do. It's a place where people have freedom to dream. It's a place where people are encouraged to draw on the infinite resources of heaven to become the incredible things God has called them and do the incredible things God has called them to do. And we just have two tinier boxes 
We've made the Christian life a thing where we show up, you know, we do the right thing, we go home, and then we maybe show up in small group and we read our Bible for five minutes every week and, uh, you know, we pray in the car on the way to work. But actually, we are here to change this world. And that scares us until we realize who we are. Jesus had no problem leaving 12 guys to change the planet because he'd helped them come to a place where they knew who they were and all they needed to receive then was this incredible baptism in the Holy Spirit. God doesn't need lots of people to change the whole planet. He just needs them to know who they are and who they're, who they're in touch with and who they're, 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 who they're provision, where their provision is coming from. So the church is meant to be full of dreamers, full of initiators, full of creators, full of world changers, full of people going after their passion because they know that God's with them. There's infinite resources. And so it should be a place of incredible encouragement. Because when you're carrying an impossible dream, you don't often need a bit of encouragement to keep going for it. Yeah? You do. And a lot of us have got those things in our heart, and a lot of us have got them and we've forgotten them. We put a lid on them because oh, it's just impossible. I'm never going to do this. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too lazy. I'm too fat. I'm too thin. I'm too stupid. We all have all these reasons, and none of them count. Because we're sons and daughters of God. We are the chosen generation. doesn't matter how old, young, or middle-aged you are. So it's a place of, underneath this, a place of freedom. And the last time we spoke, we saw the absolute hallmark of the church is it's a place of the presence of God. It actually is the original definition of what the church is. It's where he is. Remember when, when Jacob says, surely this is the house of God. All he knew was that God was there and there was angels. There was no people, there was no congregation, there was no building. But because God was there, it was the house of God. And we looked at how Moses had this insatiable pursuit for his glory. This has to be a place, a a house that is going after the glory of God. Even if we've seen miracles, even if we've been baptized in the Spirit, even as we love the Bible, we're pressing in. God, just show us your glory. That was Moses' prayer. Even though he'd been up that mountain, he'd been in the cloud, he'd seen the fire, he just wanted to see more. That's got to be a hallmark. It's got to be a shaping principle. It's got to be a shaping passion in terms of what the church is supposed to look like. Today, I'm kind of concluding the series. And uh, this is the, this is the, I'm trying to answer the question. So I'm, I'm going to try and teach this. All right, well, I'm going to talk, I'm going to state the problem that I've created by talking about all these other stuff. I'm going to give you some Bible and a biblical principle, and then I'm going to try and apply it. All right, based on that biblical principle, what does that look like? I'm going to give you six things. All right, some of you are smart enough, some of you are on the ball to know that we have created a problem by talking about all this freedom. Because how do you, how do you have unity and quality control and cohesion if you're just setting everybody free to go after their stuff. And, and the kind of churches I've been involved in, in building and leading over the years, actually we've really emphasized the corporate. 
You know, come to the corporate, serve in the corporate, find your expression in the corporate. We, we believe in the gathered church. We need to be together. We, we've got a vision here that we're going for together and actually we'll be more efficient if we all get this vision nice and defined and we're all going after it and we're trying to get everybody to buy into it and go for it because underneath that we want we want unity and we've got all these things that we agree on so we teach them and and we've got agreement we've got vision therefore we have unity and we have cohesion and we don't have and then we have oversight which stops us going off on one so you know we don't want people suffering from felt led poisoning you know just felt led to do this and I just felt led to do that But how does all that square with God giving you a dream and God giving you a vision and God can speak to, he speaks to everybody, he doesn't just speak to leaders. How do, how do we, this is what goes on in my head anyway. If it makes sense to you. How do you, how do, you do that without, without introducing something you don't really want? Because the traditional answer to prevent this kind of free-for-all is some form of manipulation and control. Some form of you're led by people who are superior to you, really. And when you're a leader, that's quite a nice feeling, isn't it? I know God better than you. I hear Him better than you. I know the Bible better than you. So... I'm going to tell you how you should do it all. That kind of makes me feel good if you feel like that. But that keeps you immature. That keeps you thinking you're a servant and me thinking I'm a master. Hello? And actually, some people just want to be servants. Because it's highly risky to say, well, what has God said to you? It's a bit like, you know, what Susie's saying, it's like, I'm actually supposed to come up with something from the heart of God for this person. I'm bricking it. <laughs> Can't someone else do it for me who's more skilled, more mature, knows how? To, that's what we think, isn't it? That's how the whole church has lived for decades. Well, I'm bricking it here, so I'll ring the elders. They ought to know because we pay them to know. No, actually, what we want is that everybody knows how to hear God. All right, you may brick it and you may fail a few times, but at least you're going to learn how to get it. Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, not just my leaders. So we can, we can but to try and keep this kind of, this kind of, I don't know, this, you know, this, the horses on the front of the old chariots? You had to be some kind of muscle guy to hold those, those stallions and all the kind of reins. How do you kind of hold this scary thing together so it looks like church? Kind of sit on it and kind of calm it down. And I don't want to do that. But there has to be a better answer than controlling it or manipulating it or kind of making you all feel smaller and me feel bigger so that we all kind of go, oh yeah, great and mighty leaders, you know, Nick and Andy, you're our elders, glory, 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 what do we do today? 
or being afraid that we're going to show up and say, well, you did the wrong thing. There's all kinds of ways that we can do that. It doesn't have to be sort of harsh and nasty. It can be subtle and still be manipulative. And there are times as a leader where something rises up and you think, oh God, please let me use guilt. (laughs) Our guilt is so powerful. Oh, it's a mighty weapon in the armory of leadership. Every morning when we leave and we drive past the Catholic church at the bottom of our road and they are streaming, they are running to be in there on time, in their hundreds. It's a popular Catholic church. They're blocking our road trying to get parked and they, th- they start at 10 o'clock and by God, they're in there. I'm, I'm, I don't know if they lock the doors when they're in or but, but you know, <laughs> flipping it. I want to go to heaven. I'm in church on time. You know, charismatic churches like ours are like, oh, it's so nice. I don't have to be there on time. I'm free. I said, God, just let me at this church with some guilt. Then it'll show up. But it'd be dead on the inside. Because you can come up with all kinds of structures and all kinds of techniques and all kinds of stuff, and you can make it happen. But you don't change people on the inside. You just get them to conform by badgering them or manipulating them or forcing them or guilting them. Or I was listening to an American guy from Texas. He said, you can build a really big church in southern Texas if you've mastered the art of guilt. Because that's the spiritual Christian ethos in that world. And there's lots of people who are born again, but they don't understand grace but they sure understand guilt and if you can do a good job of articulating that eloquently you're going to have a big congregation so hey who wants to change the message if it quote works but we can't be driven by pragmatics we've got to be driven by revelation so you're with me you're getting in touch with the problem we have now created well just say yes Andy even if you don't know talk to me I'm feeling lonely again We're trying to build something that's suitable for sons and daughters. It's not run by constraints, but it's coming out of our hearts. And that's almost swear word frustrating at times. (laughs) Well, I didn't feel like coming. I was on the rotor, but I didn't come. You naughty boy, get yourself right with God because you just sinned by letting everybody down. I'm not going to do that, although sometimes it's just guilt, God, help me use, not use guilt. So how, 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 how do we have community and cohesion? We're all free. <laughs> okay, Bible, we really need the Bible right now. Galatians 5, and then we're going to go to Romans 12. You ready? Great. 5.13. I was so blessed that this verse was in the Bible. It helped me so much. You see, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Yeah! You know, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
I think we're feeling freer because we've got more Holy Spirit. And if we want to keep getting more Holy Spirit, we need to keep moving in more freedom. We can't sort of go, oh, this is so good, let's clamp this right down so we keep it. No, 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 no. Freedom is the essential ingredient of presence. So let's enjoy that freedom. But do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So he's saying, don't use freedom as an opportunity just to indulge yourself and express selfishness. He's saying, actually, freedom is there to serve other people. Isn't that a weird thing? You see, the way we read freedom in our culture is freedom is I'm free to be me. What he's saying is, no, you're free to serve them. Your freedom's for me and for the person sitting next to you, not for yourself. So freedom is to serve one another. I thought, what a great scripture. Thank you, God. Now, turn with me to Romans 12, which is also awesome. <clears throat> we'll just break in verse 4. Just as each of us <clears throat> has one body, as far as I'm aware, anybody here got a spare one in their wardrobe? <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> just as well, I have trouble with the one I have, I don't want the extra one. Just as each of us has one body, so that's good to know. With many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. Ooh. And each member belongs to all the others. Shoot. What a verse. Just, just for time, just skip down to verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Or in the ESV it says, outdo one another in showing honor. I love it. Isn't it so good? ESV, outdo one another in showing honor. See, your freedom is for me. Your gift is for the body, is for the other guy, the other woman. Your passion, your zeal, your creative energies, your freedom, your dream is actually for the rest of the body. It's not for you. It's for them. You've been given something powerful in order to help other people be powerful. It's not selfish. It's not self-centered. That's the flesh. It's God-centered and other people-centered. That's the spirit. Okay? So that what he's saying here is the love is expressed in honor. So we all know we're supposed to love one another, yeah? Jesus said, love one another as I've loved you. That's a no-brainer. But what does that look like? One of the things that looks like is something called honor. So try and outdo one another in showing honor. Love one another with brotherly affection how? By outdoing each other in honor. It expresses itself in honor. Jesus did this. Jesus served out of who he was. You know, again for time, I encourage you to go home and read this. In John 13, 
there's that passage where he puts a towel around him and he washes the disciples' feet. He goes around and he washes every one of their feet. And it, it clearly says before he does that, it says, knowing who he was. Basically, said, I'm paraphrasing, knowing who he was, what he was sent to do, and the authority that he'd been given. All right, so it wasn't like, I'm just a servant. He said, I know I'm the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, so, it says, he put a towel around him and washed their feet. Amazing. His status, his identity, his security in who he was as a son meant that he could express himself freely in honoring others by serving them. That didn't make him a servant in his identity, it, made, it meant that he was serving out of his royal identity. You getting this? Honor is a, it comes from a Greek word which means to estimate or to fix the value. Now God honored us by sending Jesus. He fixed a value on us. Do you know what? I don't know how we... I was just in the prayer meeting this morning. I thought, you know, God... You put infinite value on me because you paid an immeasurable price. So it's actually totally illegal for us to go around, oh, I'm not worth much. God gave his precious son, his only son, to die for us. He gave us value by what he was willing to pay. He honored us by making the ultimate payment. The life, not just the life of a man, but the life of God. In the mystery that's the cross, God gave himself up for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? You're worth, like, infiniteness. What are you worth? Infiniteness. We'll make a word up because there isn't a word to express it. It's immeasurable what you're worth to him. He's already expressed that to us. He's so honored us. He hasn't just washed our feet. He's, He's completely revolutionized our whole being and our whole life and our whole destiny. You are not rubbish. Don't say it. Don't declare it. You're not worthless. That is so dishonoring to the great way that God has honored you. And now we're called to honor one another. That means that we have to fix a value on the people that we're with. So something inside us goes, I think you're incredibly valuable. And I'm going to express it by the way that I treat you. Not, I'm going to make sure that you know I'm better than you. If we're thinking that, that means we don't know who we are. I don't need to be made to feel better about who I am by feeling superior to you. If I know that I'm of infinite value to him. Do you want me to say that again? I don't need to be made to feel better by feeling better or greater than you 
if I'm in touch with the fact that I'm of infinite value to him. I'm truly a son in touch with the whole family inheritance. I think I'll say it again. I don't need to be made to feel better by feeling better than you if I know who I really am as a son. Actually, that knowing my place releases me to give honor to you. To do exactly what God did to us is what we're supposed to do to one another. It, and actually, we're called to give honor even if we don't feel they deserve it. Because we didn't deserve it and we got our truckload. Yeah? Everything we got, we didn't deserve We deserved horribleness and we got glory. That's what God's like and that's what he's made us like. If you become a son and a daughter, then you you distribute his currency and his currency is honor where it's not deserved. His currency is perceiving the value even if it's kind of a bit covered over. Okay, so that's the principle. If you have that, you don't need the control stuff. And I'm going to show you how. Is that okay? So I'm going to apply the principle. Honor, love and honor as the, is the glue of cohesion. That's what holds us together. Not rules, not pressure, not, you know, not fear. Because actually a lot of that has its root. Trying to get people to do stuff you want them to do by fair means or foul, has its root in the occult. And control isn't a Bible word, but Jezebel is. And, and her methods were seductive, manipulative, and threatening. And that shouldn't be in the church in any shape or form in the way that we, we function. Uh, she induced fear in one of our Bible heroes. You know, this is, it wasn't just words, there was power behind the words. And so we don't want to get in that. Yeah, do we? We don't want that. We want this other stuff. That's why Jesus said, love one another. That's the absolute antidote to fear. Because love kicks out fear, it drives it out the door. Great translation, isn't it? Love kicks fear out the door. Okay, what do we need? Six things to sustain cohesion without control or how do we apply honor in a way that keeps us free but together? You ready? Number one, you're all going to like this one. I guarantee this will be your favorite point. Honest. I'm not saying it's the best point, I just know it's going to be your favorite point. Number one is that you have leaders who have continual heart surgery. See, I told you would like that. <laughs> because what we need is, as a leader, and as, as Nick and I as leaders of, and elders of the church, is that we keep being fathers and not controllers and masters. All right, so you can make a good start and then you can blow it. 
If I start to feel like an elder brother, you know, the parable of the... I never know what to call it anymore. But you know what I mean. The elder brother in the house, the prodigal comes home, the party's thrown, and the elder brother, all he can do is moan. And he's angry because he says, I've served you and I've obeyed you. And dad says, well, it's all yours and you can enjoy it whenever you want. You just never have. You've just got the elder brother attitude, which is, I'm here to serve and I'm here to obey. If that starts to happen inside, well, let's just make it personal, me. Then I'm going to treat you like that. I'm going to expect you to be here to serve and obey, not to enjoy and be free. I need regular help to not get like that. Because disappointments, the way that other people hurt you, the predisposition to bitterness, uh, just moving into an orphan spirit can happen to me pretty much any day of the week. Just making sense. And so I need regular encounter with God to help me stay in the right spirit. And I need good and trusted friends who I can go to and say, will you pray for me because I'm in a mess on the inside. And that happens, which is cool. I have trusted friends like Nick and Jan who help God's heart surgery in my life. I can think of three or four different occasions where... There's been an excellent bit of surgery go on by the Holy Spirit that I couldn't do for myself or God couldn't do with me on my own in my encounter with Him. It's really important because controlling leadership comes out of a fearful orphan heart in a leader. And the reason that fathering has failed in the church, because this is new, and I've been part of movements that talked about this, the reason that it doesn't work is because the fathers become uh, insecure. So if we're going to have a family, you need proper dads, and the dads need to stay dads. So that means that the leaders need to be up for heart surgery on a regular basis. Because you can collect disappointment and bitterness almost without knowing it, and so you need a regular kind of Holy Spirit checkup just to keep your heart in good shape. Because it's out of in here is what leadership really comes from. Because leadership comes from the heart of transformed men and women, not great technique. Biblically, God uses all kinds of kind of people, some of them not particularly, as far as we know, good at what they do, but their hearts are transformed and they become amazing leaders. Lots of our heroes, it's all about what happened in their hearts. Worldly institutions can have great leaders who've got rubbish lives because they're led in a totally different spirit. The institutions don't need purity of heart to succeed or great motives. So you've got people with questionable morals, questionable motives, doing a great job of leading incredible institutions. That's not the church. So do you like that point? I told you you like it. It's a good point. The second thing is that we need to honour our leaders, our spiritual parents. 
and I'll just give you a verse. It says, We ask you, brothers, 1 Thessalonians 5, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, a lot of us don't like that. We'd like that those verses weren't there. We'd like that this is a faceless, nameless body and leadership is just, you know, they're one amongst us maybe and, and, and we don't do well with the over you in the Lord malarkey. Do, do you know what I mean? But to be honest with you, it, was never, it has never been a nameless, faceless thing in, in the Bible. God's always had people with names that led and faces you could meet in the street and say hi Mo saw you down Asda last week yes keep shining (laughs) Jesus there's a name he didn't come as a cloud came in a body with a face with a name and an address. And, and, we're called, and we're all called to do this, is to hold leadership in our hearts and keep them in a good place. A place of respect. Actually make room to value leadership. This is the only way to not have control. This point you may not like as much as the first point. If we're not to be led by fear or constraint or badgering, we all have a role in making sure the church doesn't become just an institution. By all of us having our hearts in the right place. We just need to keep loving and honoring leaders. When we had our we need a name for our horrible time. Maybe we just call it our horrible time four years ago as a church. One of, because of lots of circumstances and difficult things and mistakes that were made, a lot of people struggled to retain honor in their hearts for leadership. The outcome was the church just tread water and it was difficult to lead and difficult to make progress. The enemy loves to put a wedge in your heart between you and the church leadership to find a moan and a groan. And I tell you, there's lots of reasons to moan about me. Some of them maybe I should fix. Some of them maybe I shouldn't. Do do you know what I mean? It's just me. And I'm free to be me too. Hey! (laughs) I'm free. And if I'm not free, you won't be free. And if Nick's not free and Jan's not free and Teresa's not free, you won't be free. So you can put stuff on us. Like, well, when's he going to be more pastoral? Never. (laughs) I'm so excited about that. I've been trying to be pastoral for years because all my heroes are so pastoral. And it's like, I've got to be pastoral because pastoral people succeed. People like pastoral people. People like to hang out with pastoral people. Pastoral people think a certain way about other people, and people like that. So I try and make my brain think pastoral today. I have one day in a week where you are a pastor. Oh, it hurts. 
And then you go do, you do the pastoral visit and you give the pastoral word, you think, and you blow the person right out of the water. You think, oh my God, I'm crap at this. I shouldn't be any kind of church leader. So I learned, don't do it. Send Nick and Jan. (laughs) And they clean up my messes. Because they're gifted in that. And I'm not. Oh, it's so releasing. Yeehaw! So if you want to call me pastor, you can. But you're deceiving yourself. That's the crazy thing about all these titles, isn't it? Oh, it's worship pastor and church pastor. Like, you can go in churches, they're all called pastor, and there isn't a pastoral gift in evidence anywhere. It's just a title. And okay, titles help some people, but <clears throat> you can then confuse the gift and the title, and that just messes with me. Is this helping anybody? It's helping me. I'm enjoying this now. See... <laughs> The first point was good for you. This point's really good for me. Um, the enemy loves to find a reason just to put a wedge in. Because we're led, leaders are always imperfect. They're limited. And their character is still being formed as well. So you have gift limitations and character limitations. Man, how limited can you be? And God still says, I'm going to use you. Oh. Exactly. So on any given day, there is plenty of reasons to go, eh. Actually, we're called to honor leaders. Because that releases, there's two reasons for this. That's the way you get the goodies that God put in them. It's all grace. They didn't earn what they got. They got given it. And if you want it, you have to honor to get it. Hello? Hello? That's what the Bible says. If you don't honor a prophet, you don't get his reward. If you don't honor a righteous man, I'm putting it in the negative. If you don't honor a righteous man, you don't get a righteous man's reward. If you honor them, you don't have to spend 24 hours a day with them to get what they've got. We've got people who are kind of, we would consider and they would consider they're our spiritual kids. But you spend a couple of times with them in the year and they get stuff. Because there's something in their heart that's kind of just, okay, we get this, we get this, we get this. Am I making sense? So the number one, that's the way it works. Biblically, that's the way it works, is the position of our heart towards those that minister to us and lead us is the very thing that opens us to what they're carrying God for us. And we get all those wedges and we get all kind of bent out of shape and we just can't get anything. And then we think they're worse than before because they're not blessing me now. Do you see what I mean? Because now you've got all the problems and you're not getting anything from their gift because on the inside you're bent out of shape with them. So they're completely useless to you other than giving you a hard time. Ah, that's horrible. I've been there. It's not nice. So number one is it's, it's the biblical way where we actually receive Holy Spirit gift. And, and it's the way that, and this is connected, the inheritance is passed on. It's the way you, you, all right, so it's supposed to, 
hopefully Hope Church has a future beyond my life. Yeah? I started it, Teresa and I started it. We've kind of got it where it's going by the help of God and lots of great people who've, who've been involved with this. But our dream would be that it doesn't stop when we stop. I'm not getting morbid, it's all right. But we need a, a meth. Okay, get your kids, get the kids. I just see everybody goes, oh, what's happening over there? Honor your father and your mother that may go well within your land is the only command with a promise because it was the method God used to pass the inheritance on from one generation to another. And if you dishonored the parents that carried the inheritance, then you missed out on getting it. So we did a a message on that a while ago. But it's the way that it gets passed on. Okay? Okay, so number one was... Leaders need constant heart surgery. Number two is honor and respect your leaders. Number three is that we have a desire for the honor of the family name. Jesus actually said that he was authentic because he didn't come for his own glory. The the stuff about the body that we've just read, your gift isn't for you, it's for us. So our desire corporately and individually is to, is, to, is to do well for the family name, both the name of the, this house and the wider body of Christ. We actually have, our freedom carries a responsibility to do good for the name of the house, of the family in which we're in. I mean, there's nothing more exciting for us as parents than, it was a couple of years ago now, a couple of our kids were at a conference in South Africa, and... and, and uh, for youth, and they got involved prophetically, and they kind of, so it was our son Luke and daughter Kezia, they were kind of prophetically tag-teaming in this conference, and they had people going up to them after saying, you're amazing, and they actually said this to them, you must have incredible parents, and then they rang us up and told us, and we were like, oh. <laughs> 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 go Merricks! But it feels like that in church as well. When you hear you know, Lenny doing well or Jan going off doing something or any of you just break through on something and you, and you learn some of it here, we're going, yeah, go Hope Church. And that's good. And actually you've got more power when you go for the glory of the family than go for your own glory. That's what Jesus said and there's not time. But look that up in John seven fifteen or John eight forty nine. You're, you're an extension of us, not your own thing. Number four, a desire to truly embrace and represent the family. It sounds like the same thing, but it's a different twist. So you press in to know the family stories, to know the family heart and values. You know the family revelation. What's present in the household has become your own. You don't treat it as something like, well, I know how church works. I've showed up in this church, and they have their thing, and I have my thing. Whoa. If you value the family of God that you're in, then it's on you to find out 
what makes this thing tick and start to own the revelation that's in the house. Does that make sense? Because we need people to prize and protect what's there. We need people who are sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, not attendees. The joint, connected, heart surgery. So you get heart surgery as well as me. <laughs> There's two ends to the pointy stick. <laughs> I like this point as well. <laughs> See, that's how you become a son, is you find out, if you weren't born in the house, you find out what's in the house. That's how adoption works, isn't it? And eventually you raid the fridge for free. That's the point. That we aren't all sort of tippy-toeing around saying, please, can I help? We want you to help. Please, can I have some? You can have it all. But we want you to be in the family. Number five, how are we doing? There's a desire to protect and increase the family legacy. The inheritance that we pass on to other people. Not, not just when we die, but what we, what we have and what we can give away. So your, let me just say a few phrases that, that illustrate this. Your increase is our increase. All right, remember? You, aren't, you, aren't, you belong to me. Your freedom is my freedom. So your increase is our increase, and our increase is your increase. Our breakthrough is your breakthrough, your breakthrough is our breakthrough. We need your best, and you need our best. Your pain is our pain, our joy is your joy, your joy is our joy, our pain is your pain. There's a thing in British church where people are having a bad time. They disappear from church until they can come back and look good again. We still hurt because you're hurting. We just don't know why you're hurting because you disappeared. That's mental. It shows no understanding of how body or family works. It's just it, 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 what it feeds into is what I think church is is a place where I can only go when I'm working well. And it's not a place I can get fixed when I'm not working well, so I'll hide till I feel better. But if it's a body that feels, I believe that even if we don't know what your pain is, we feel the effects of you having it. Because we're connected. There's a spiritual union that happens in the family of God and in the body of Christ. It's much better to hang out in church and get fixed and be honest and you know, join me in the surgery table. It's fun, honest. Afterwards. It's glorious because freedom comes. You get free from crap that holds you down. Why did you end up in a bad place in the first place? Wouldn't it be good to know the answer? I don't think you'll find out on your own. And if you repeatedly go to a bad place, then I think it was somebody famous who said that the definition of insanity is repeating the same behavior with the expectation of different results. Maybe you should just open up and ask someone, 
I keep going in this bad place and I've been doing it for years. Have you got a clue why that might be happening? Because it would be great if the whole church is just free from all that sort of thing. Because then we are all freer because your freedom is my freedom. He said, Jan's nearly leaping out of her skin here. (laughs) We're connected. You can't escape it. You can ignore it, but you can't escape it. Whatever we have to pass on and pass forward, we need to have this desire this realization of our interconnectedness and that corporate deposit is to be passed on to the kids coming through. And we need that desire that says, well, we got this, now you go take it further. Every church has an inheritance to pass on. It was really sweet uh, going to the opening of the uh, related church in Edinburgh, New Frontiers Church in Edinburgh, opening of their new building, which they'd bought from a, a, a decl- seriously declining church of Scotland. But they got the minister up, and he said, look, we've got promises about this place, and we want to give them to you. And it was real. It was real. And there were great promises. And he said, look, we, we didn't enter into this, but we believe you guys are going to take this forward. And there were great promises. They were passing on their inheritance. I thought, and, and the guys there in Edinburgh were like, yeah, we'll go for that. This is good. That's what, now, that's a decline thing. But how much better you get momentum and you get inheritance, you get breakthrough. And then you say, here, take this forward. And our increase becomes their increase. It's all connected. So if I've got breakthrough, you can have it for free. This is how how Jesus thought. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. All right, so I've achieved a standard. And all you've got to do is honor me by faith and you get what I got. Right? You don't have to work for that. You don't have to strive for that. You don't have to press in for that. If you believe, you get what I already did. I actually believe that. I'll say it again. Whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. And greater works than these will he do now this clearly in the greek does not mean more in number because there's more of us it actually means we're going to do more amazing things than jesus did so he's saying look i've got this standard when you believe you get what I, what cost me my life for nothing now take it beyond how do we do that we connect through honor and faith to him Oh, she's supposed to finish. What time is it? Quarter to twelve. Oh, darn. <laughs> Last point really quickly is to honor and respect your brothers and sisters. You've got to express and communicate at value for one another. And protect relationships at all costs. And it will cost you. 
really easy just to sort of drift away and not say anything. It'll cost you to keep your relationships alive. But if you value them, you'll go after them. You'll do something. You know how much you value the person by what you'll go through to put it right with them. So we need to keep short accounts. Don't take offense. Express love and honor for one another. And I believe these six things are the way to have cohesion without control and manipulation. So you you need leaders who are fathers and and keep their hearts in a place where they can be fathers. You need to honor your leaders. You need to treasure and protect the inheritance and find out what it is. And you need to know that what you do is not your own. It's to, it's to represent and, and add into what's here and for the honor of what's here. And you need to love and honor one another and serve one another. Is that okay? Is that right? Can we do that? Because I hate control. I hate it with a passion. I don't want to be it. I don't want to do it. And I don't think the Holy Spirit likes it either. And it's weakened the church for decades. Churches should be many more thousands than they are. But we think we can do it by controlling it rather than by love. I think God's saying, Hope Church, you're going to have a go at doing it by love. Yeah? Let's just stand and pray and then we're done, I think. I don't really have an appeal other than let's love one another. Father, thanks for your amazing plan. It's way out of my box. (laughs) And uh, I pray, Father, that you will keep doing the heart surgery on all of us that we need to be free from demonic manipulation, free from insecurity, and that we would live as sons and daughters, moms and dads, and you'd have the family on earth that you've got in heaven, which is the basic plan. So Lord, I pray that your, your family would come to earth in Hope Church. I pray we'd be a good example with many others around this city of the family of God, heaven on earth, honor and love respect and serving in the name of Jesus. Amen.